0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be carrying on with that theme, um, just this beautiful picture of God's faithfulness, as we look at uh, Daniel chapter 6. So that's where we're going to be um, turning today, if you want to turn in your Bible or your device. um, It's also going to be provided up on the screen Um, So Daniel chapter 6, we're going to cover the whole chapter this week. Um, We um, purposely... um, want to go through the whole book of Daniel and so we've been um, progressing through it and uh, a lot of times in churches, uh, I would say over half the time, they stop at the end of Daniel 6 because then chapter 7 turns into more of the pro- prophetic. But we're going to go ahead and continue on through uh, the, the book of Daniel, um, you know, next week and the next week and next week till we finish it out. Um, over the last two weeks, we, we arrived at the pinnacle, the main idea that God was bringing out through the book of Daniel. And so I kind of revealed a little bit about um, this chiastic structure or chiasm that a lot of um, writers, it's a literary literary device that writers use. Um, Sometimes in the Bible, it's very, very clear that they stuck to this. Um, Sometimes in the Psalms, even they will use um, the the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and they'll build in almost like if it was our alphabet, like A, B, C, D, and then E would be the main point, and then it would come backwards out of building that foundation to FGH. And so like they would kind of build into it and then build out of it. So um, that's what's happening here. We saw that last week in chapters 4 and 5. And so yeah, I think I even had a, a thing showing. So chapter 2, you're going to see, um, is going to have a lot of correlations with chapter 7. Um, so the the four different kingdoms mentioned in chapter 4. Next week in chapter 7, we'll begin to see these four different um, creatures. And so if you want to go ahead and read that and get really confused, and uh, that'll be fun. Um, and then all, chapter 3 has a lot of ties with chapter 7 which we just finished, or which we're going into today, I'm sorry. And then chapter 4 and 5 last week um, was this significant message that God's trying to bring out. So think through his audience, think through who, who he's thinking of, Judah, who had been taken captive, taken captive by Babylon, um, Israel repeatedly, right? And what was the big issue with them? You continue to follow idols. Your hearts are following idols while neglecting the one true God, Is that a message we need to hear today? Is that a message that you and I, even as believers, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, thinking through the same thing, that main idea, you're offering worship to idols while neglecting the one true God. So it's been building that way. Um, They needed to hear that. knowing that premise that God laid that down coming out of chapters 4 and 5, then what would be God's next word? What would God want to be declared to all nations? Because we know starting in chapter 2 and ending in the end of chapter 7, the language even went from Hebrew um, so Daniel's writing in Hebrew for the hometown crowd, the insiders, the Jews, Israel, right? And then in chapter 2, he went to Aramaic, which was the, 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 the uh, language for the masses. All the different um, groups and nations and languages would understand this. So God purposely, hey, Daniel, we're going to change. We're going to write this in Aramaic. So after this story that God unfolds, and they understood um, m- much more clearly than we do, about that chiasm, that here's God's main point, then what would God want them to know next? Based on that, that you struggle with idols and you're neglecting the one true God, what would God want to come out next? So they would be kind of like geared up, excited to hear about that next thing. Maybe that's not us. So um, what would God want the world to know about him next? After this scandalous, shocking story, what word, what would God want the world to know about him rolling out of that? Um we're going to see here, um, we want to be um, careful in this story that we're very familiar with, with uh, Daniel and the Lion's Den. Um, we, we want to be careful not to spiritualize it. And what I mean by that is we have a tendency to spiritualize texts. So if you start start studying in like hermeneutics and things like that, like the the, the meaning and the, the language, and you start going into that, we could spiritualize a text. And so uh, anyone ever had a, a rough neighbor that they live by? maybe now Uh, anyone had uh, someone that uh, a co-worker or a boss and and, and man we go through Daniel 6 this week and man that's what I needed to hear my boss that neighbor that neighbor man that's the lion's den God's going to deliver me God's going to deliver he may destroy them and so sometimes we spiritualize the text and we kind of put ourselves in the situation like I've been waiting to hear this God and so um Now, at the same time, we we don't want to spiritualize the text. We also don't want to miss the fact of what God is saying in this. So sometimes we actually are in situations like that. Um, We want to be careful here because... um, God is going to bring out the truth that He is a saving God. And so that's why the title of the message even is Faithful to Save. Um, but the point of Daniel 6 is not uh, for you and I to walk out and think, okay, now I've got a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or even a church member that, you know, they're they're the lion's den, right? And so um we want to be careful to make sure that we get out what God's intent was. We know that we do have a true um enemy. So maybe it's not your boss, maybe it's not your workplace, maybe it's not your neighbor. Maybe it is the true enemy that the Bible clarifies, that, that you have an enemy, an adversary um, that is against you, um, that that your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour or destroy. Remember, Peter said that. Jesus told Peter and the disciples in Luke chapter 22, Simon Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Like we again, we just read over lots of Bible verses. Imagine the context. Like the guys are all gathered around Peter, stepping up, saying stuff, and Jesus kind of steps and goes, "Hey, Peter, I know you're real bold and everything. Satan has demanded that he could have you. That would make you pause. Like, when did this happen?" Like what, what, hold on a second. What what are you saying? When did, when did Satan do this? So Jesus has this knowledge, like almost Satan's boldness, like he does with Job. We see the kind of the the background behind the scenes, right? With with the boldness of Satan. What seems like Jesus is saying here that Satan stepped up with boldness and demanded maybe to God, I want Peter, I, I, I want to take Peter out. And Jesus tells him about it. He demanded that he may have you, that he may sift you. That kind of fits with, remember, Satan and Jesus? Remember that story? The 40 days in the wilderness? Like, he's pretty bold and prideful, isn't he? Like, he's so prideful, he thinks he's still got a chance of defeating God, right? And so, I want Peter. I'm going to take him out. And notice, I mean, I would be concerned, right? Um, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Hear that pride? I'm so devoted to you, Jesus. I would go to prison or death. Hey, Peter, you need to be humbled. You're going to deny me three times before the cock even crows. See, we, 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 you see that pride that swells up? This is a story of God's supernatural rescue. On one man's physical life, But the bigger overarching story is God's supernatural salvation of souls, right? And so it's this one man's salvation of his physical life, but the bigger backdrop that God was saying to the world is, I'm the one who saves souls for all eternity. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read into Daniel chapter 6. So let me pray as we get started. Father, um, we come to you not because we're supposed to pray at the beginning of a um, church service, but we come to you because it is our wasted time If anyone thought that I had something to offer, if I had good bullet points to live by, or if we looked at the Bible that way, we need your word and we need the Holy Spirit to do a work inside of us. So we ask for you to come and minister to our hearts, to open our eyes, to see what you want us to get out of Daniel 6. Um, This is your word. This is your powerful word that, that changes us. Would you soften our hearts to where we would be transformed, where we would be a people that are humbled by your word, that would see our need for you like Daniel sees his need for you? Thank you that you give us this word that reveals so much about your glory and so much about our need for you. In your name we pray. Amen. So um, let's look there in uh, Daniel chapter 6, and we're just going to go through, I was going to read the whole thing and then come back because it's a well-known story, but then um, I, I, I was, as I pieced it together, I thought, no, let's just go section by section again. So we're kind of going to read a section, and then we'll kind of bring out a couple of things. Most of it's pretty easy reading. You shouldn't be surprised by the story. So um, Daniel 6, we'll go 1 through 5 first. So it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So so notice there as we, we first get into that, first of all, it pleased Darius. So we're, we're introduced to this person Darius. Remember in chapter 5 we saw um, the, the, the kingdom of Babylon fall, right? And so we had seen Nebuchadnezzar for several chapters, then we'd seen uh, Belshazzar, and, and then now we see the kingdom fall, and uh, we saw the Medo-Persians who were camped outside um, Babylon, and they come in, they take over, and now King Darius is ruling. And so um, he 's the one in charge and he's he 's brought on one hundred and twenty satraps so think of these guys kind of like um, um, mayors over different villages and different little towns and little precincts. But then above those 120 satraps, kind of like governors. So three guys who are going to be governors. And we find out here that Daniel was so distinguished, there was something about Daniel that stood out that um, King Darius was even going to put him above all of those 120 guys. And he was part of this three leaders like governors. But then it says that he sought to even put Daniel above the whole kingdom. He's not Medo-Persian, right? Um, He's one of God's people, Israel. He's part of Judah. And he's going to be that way. So now you also have to remember, when we first got introduced in chapter 1 in the book of Daniel, Daniel was probably 14 to 15, maybe 16 years old. Well, then we get further into the book, and we we hear the other stories, chapters 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. And so Daniel's probably in his 50s, 50s to 60s. Well, then now we're to the point now that he's in his 80s. He's probably around 85 years old. Okay, so um, you, so you get a track with that. You don't. You don't. That doesn't spell that out real clearly. But we see this aspect that he's faithful, um, and in that, a lot of times, what we do with this message—it's a well-known story—we um, could title the message or make the main lesson. Hey, why don't you just go and be like Daniel? Be like Daniel. Be a successful Christian. Let's pull out some things about Daniel's how he's distinguished, how he's faithful. Now you just be like Daniel. Uh, We could make it, um, if you're faithful, like Daniel, you'll get the life that you desire. Because at the end, what do we read? The last verse in chapter 6 is that um, all this prosperity was dumped out on Daniel again. Um, We could have made the message, the title, Three Steps of Faith to Reach the, the Life that God Ordained for You. Three steps of faith for the life that God ordained for you. You see how we do that? Like, man, there's some, we could pull out three points of if you live this life, there's this God ordained life. Um, we could have made it, you know, right now where there's kind of election time and all this stuff that's been happening with COVID and the different camps, this whole Christian nationalism that's kind of been going on. Um, we could have made it, hey, four ways to prosper under a godless government. People would be, oh, that's what I want to hear. Four ways to prosper under a godless government. And so we could have done that. Man, those sound good, Sankey. Uh, one commentary even said said this um, had it broken down to Daniel's distinction, Daniel's dis- detractors, Daniel's discipline, and Daniel's deliverance. Do You see how that fits? Pretty cool, huh? It all started with these. I'm not even smart enough to do that. And so, but but the walk away as you walk out, you, you'd walk out. Remember the old little bracelets? You, except except this one would be W W D D. Everyone would be walking out. What would Daniel do? Man, this week I want to be thinking through what would Daniel do? That stupid case, that stupid coworker. What would Daniel do? Oh yeah, hey, I, my wife, she's acting crazy this week. What's going on? My kids, my husband. Man, what would Daniel do? And you walk out thinking about Daniel. We want to change that. To go, no, no, no. We want to be walking out thinking, man, what is this incredible God doing? What has God already accomplished in my place as I walk out? This this, this crazy situation I'm in, man, God, what are you doing? Maybe you want me to sit quietly and humbly and take what's going on. I've got a boss who's unfair. I've got coworkers who are crazy. I've got a family that's going through rough times. Our finances are having a hard time. God, maybe you want me to humbly accept what's going on, understanding your sovereignty, and remain faithful. And so we walk out going, man, what has God already accomplished in my place? So the the bigger picture is not what has Daniel been doing, but what is God doing? So um, all of those make the central, those other ideas make the central person Daniel or me. If I do these things, it will equate to the same success that Daniel achieved. So all of those make the central figure getting glory also Daniel or me and my Christian life. How faithful, how dedicated I am. Instead of, God is faithful to save. So we'll get around to what faithful to save may look like towards the end also. So that's God's intended message. But we see that Daniel was a trusted man. And then these problems arise. We see even though you're faithful, even though Daniel's faithful, problems arise. Um, the other leaders, jealousy sits in, they begin to say, uh, see, and it must've been very clear. It must've been kind of like the King Darius every time that they would have situations. He's like, Hey, Daniel, can you come here? I need to talk with you. The rest of you guys go on and have lunch, do whatever. Daniel, I, I need some advice. Hey, hey, guys, uh, t- today we were dealing with some things, and as you go out through your day, Daniel has helped me. And so he must have been elevated a little bit in front of these guys because it's very clear to them, it's it's very distinct, that they were coming to take him down. Um, but notice that he was blameless. He was out without fault, it says. Um, we see the faithfulness of Daniel based upon, and this is this is the big point, when you make it about Daniel and his faithfulness, you, you've got to see Where was that based? Where was that flowing from? Daniel's faithfulness was based upon the object of his faithfulness. God himself, who's unchanging. Circumstances change. Feelings change. Your situation, your thinking change. His his faithfulness was based on an unchanging God. The object of his faithfulness was God himself. That's the central character. God has been saying through the book of Daniel, I am the central figure in the book of Daniel. So, we see that beautiful picture. It's about God's greatness. It's easy to be faithful to something that you love. Like I said last week, our unfaithfulness reveals much about what my heart really loves. So if you see areas of unfaithfulness... Then you can track back and go, oh, I guess my heart really loves these things, even though I would like to say my heart loves these things. So remember, for the next few months, you're probably going to hear a lot more about this idea of you are what you love. Your identity is wrapped up in what you love, not just what you think. Our theological circles have hit only on, well, just think better. Think Scripture better. Memorize Scripture. It's all about what you think. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Well, let's go beyond that to what you love because you and I both sin. And it's not a matter of us not knowing what to do. It's a matter of, oh, my heart really wants to do this right now. Shut up, God. Sit down. I'll be God for the next 20 minutes. Shut up, God. You sit down. I'll be God through this scenario. I'll treat my wife this way. I'll treat my kids this way. I'll treat my workers. You shut up and sit down. I'll go to church on Sunday, and I'll worship you. Now, we don't state that, but that's what God sees, right? And that's kind of miserable, isn't it? So then we see this next part. We see the deceitful pride of these guys. Look in verses 6 through 9. Then these high officials and satraps, they they came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. Don't you love their deceitful flattery? All the high officials of the kingdom... The prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document. So they cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. See how the repetition of that, we can't change this once we get, get it into law. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Note their press for urgency to get their way. Note that press for urgency because they wanted this to change. So you, just, you see their deceitful pride. They were misled. This happens in and out in the secular world. This happens inside the church. People pushing for power, pushing for their way, wanting things their way, and that's just deceitful pride. Sometimes we're being deceived, and we're not listening to the Spirit. We're not listening to the Word. We're not listening to the people around us speaking truth. I just want it my way. These guys were trying to not only um, remove Daniel, they wanted Daniel dead. Um this injunction, if anyone prays or petitions any god, it was saying if, if you anyone prays to any other god, because there's lots of different gods, other than you for 30 days, they must be thrown into the lion's den. So we see this deceptive pride. It leads these supposed leaders, right, these, these 120 satraps and officials, the, these type of people, to some very evil things, So then we see Daniel's response in this. Look look in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So he knew. He probably heard all the discussions building up to this. He knew, he may have had some friends like, hey man, Daniel, they're they're all kind of taking you down. They're, they're making this injunction. They're trying to get the king to sign this document. He knew about it. He knew about all the the, the the talk going on, but then he also knew when it was signed, and notice what Daniel does. He doesn't change anything. What what would allow you to stay faithful and not change the things that you're committed to about God when horrible circumstances come down? It would have been easy for Daniel just to go, hey, you know what? I'm I'm in a position of power and influence, and to work for the glory of God as a follower of the most high God, I'll just for 30 days, I'll just step back and I, I just won't pray those amount of times so they can't catch me. I need to go by the laws here. And so, or I'll pray secretly and privately. Notice also these guys, they must they must have very clearly known that Daniel did these things. They knew that he was visibly praying where people could see him. And so they knew this, and they knew this would be the way to take him down. So is this foolishness for Daniel, or is it faithfulness? Is this foolish of Daniel to handle it this way? He's got power. He's got wealth. He's of the highest status, influence over people. He could have made, uh, you know, gathered some people together to fight this, right? I'm going to take a stand against this. He didn't do that. This was already an established rhythm for Daniel. It was a habit in his lifetime. Notice it says at the end there, just as he had already or had previously done. And three times a day, why was it that Daniel had been praying all these years three times a day? He saw his need. He saw his need, he saw his weak state, and he saw God as praiseworthy. Do you know what you get in prayer? You get audience with God himself. Just that revolutionized my prayer time. Not, I get needs met. Not, and this stinks, he's going to change everything. He's going to get the bad people out of my life, give more money. You get the creator of every blade of grass. You get the creator of every molecule of water in in the depths of the ocean. See, if you'll take the time, he's there. How foolish are we not to go to him? Three times a day, Daniel going, not only am I weak as an exalted leader, not only am I weak and needy, 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 even though all of men look to me as this great person, I get you. I get time with you, and I want to give you thanks. What's he giving thanks to God about? His life has been miserable. Like He's giving thanks to God all the time. Notice what it says there. He knew the changing requirements of the law. He knew it had been signed, and, and, and he went in as usual and gave thanks to God. How often throughout the day do you pause and give thanks to God? Or maybe for you, maybe like, man, I, I don't even know in a week where I'm pausing and giving thanks to God. Just just thanking God for some simple things. Do you, do you have a rhythm set in your, your, your day? A couple of times a day, maybe in your week, where you're pausing and just pausing and giving thanks to God. You know what drives me crazy as I get older? Kids complaining. Anyone experienced this before? Kids complain when you feel like, you have been given everything. Sometimes I'll turn to them and just be like, if I gave you $10,000, you would turn around and go, well, why did you give it to me in $100 bills? Like, just complain, complain, complain. So if you've been a parent, you know that. Um, but do you know what my greatest strength is? So, like, if we lined up everyone and just put all of you guys on this side, like dodgeball, and then me over here, I could take all of you guys and dominate you in this. I, I am stronger than all of you put together. In the category of complaint. I have a PhD in it. You, all of you put together couldn't compare with the Lynch's mode of complaint. Um, I came from a long line of complainers, my wife reminds me of. Uh, I could crush the whole crowd in com- complaining. Um, it, it's my Sankey-inspired DNA. It's kind of part of that. And so, and, I, and remember, I, I'm not the type who gets to just go, well, that's kind of the way I'm wired. My personality is that way. No, God goes, no, no, it doesn't work that way. And so I don't just get to say, well, I'm just kind of that way. Um, also, just cynicism, critique, complaint, the three C's to success. Again, I, I can almost take anything and begin to be critical about it. So I have to fight that constantly. You guys are already know i'm a circular thinker so at all times i'm having seven eight nine thoughts and i'm holding back uh seven or eight of those thoughts all those voices in my head so um so i'm having i I might have two or three complaints about all those things so um i got this journal and it's called gratitude a daily gratitude journal so i i got this i i don't think i really ordered it i guess jamie did And um, so you're supposed to go and write in it, it prompts you or kind of forces you to. Um, And and actually, Jamie didn't get it for me either. As you can see, there's not even an author anywhere on it. So I was sleeping, Woke up, there's this angel floating in our bedroom with a big, huge sword just swinging around. And he just had this holy out and said, thank you, you must read this. Me and the rest of the angels, we're concerned you're going to just destroy the vibe in heaven. Will you please take this while you're here? And so you, that, that may be what happened. But, but listen to what's going on. Like, first page. This is one of the questions. I'm grateful for dot, 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 and it has a one, a two, and a three. I'm grateful for... Dot dot dot. Um, did they mean for that day? I, I had to go on to see, like, hold it. Are they mean for the day I'm grateful for? Number one, number two, number three? Or are they talking about, like for the whole month? Is that for the month? And then I thought, well, maybe, maybe they mean just as a lifetime in general. Like, you know, so so I started, you know, like, so I'm thankful, number one, Jamie. Number two. Number two, kids, I guess, you know, kids kind of fit in there. So uh, number three, man, is this daily or or lifetime? So, uh, again, I I could very easily um, show you what's wrong with the book. Uh, They also have this um, three amazing things that happened. does, Does anyone really have three amazing things that they would like to write about each day? Again, I have to think through, are they talking about in a lifetime? Uh, man, um, I put number one, amazing thing. I got rid of that book on gratitude. That was the most amazing thing I did. So so this is an area that I could just tear apart. Gratitude doesn't come easy for me. Um, So I'm going to edit it and send it in to whoever this producer is. Five horrible things that happened today, and I'll have different breakdowns. Like while driving, just five horrible things that happened while driving. Five horrible things that happened at the dinner table. Five horrible things that happened with church people. So I could could write a whole book, and maybe that would sell a lot and get some money. So um, I'm going to try to edit it. Anyone else struggle with negative, critical, complaining heart? Even when you come into a church service. You could be just sitting there, why are we doing this? Why this? Why this? Your workplace, your marriage, your kids, kids thinking through their parents. Why this? Just a critical complaining heart. The answer to that is pausing, contemplating, and giving thanks. It's a spiritual discipline of turning that, instead of complaint into the, the spiritual discipline of giving thanks to God for what he's done, for some simple things. It doesn't come naturally for me. I have to force myself to do that. And then the more I do it, the more enjoyable I see God, and the more enjoyable I see those things. So um, Daniel, three times a day, giving Thanks. Another thing we see here about Daniel is just the discipline that he has here in these devotional times. So here, here's something that I just want to throw in as kind of a side note. Usually this is taught, hey, Christians, you better be reading your Bibles. Do you see how I could lay the law down on you really easily? That, that hey, Daniel's our goal, three times a day he's praying. How are your quiet times? Are you having three quiet times a day? Anyone grow up around that? That That's kind of where i all the time. So I, I could go that route. I'm not going that route. But I do want you to know this. So I've seen this gap, this spiritual disciplines dilemma that I've seen in the church. You may have seen it in different places where you're around. Because you may have went to a church that was kind of just, uh, at one point, was real welcoming and friendly and real loving. And then after a while, you realize, like, man, after you got older, like, we didn't really teach the Bible real well, or we didn't go deep in the Bible. It was just kind of like, oh, you know, three points to live by, and let's be happy. And then you may have been, or you may have come around to church that was a little more um, a little more um, theologically sound and solid, and and it was more, of we, we believe these doctrines, and we're proud that we do, and everyone else is wrong and kind of stupid. And we're, we're so humbled that we're greater than everyone else. And so um, what, what I've seen in those different, those different spectrums is this issue. So you have on one side people that need growth, and they need biblical thinking. And so um, I've watched this for over 20 years, this gap. You have people that have never spent very much disciplined time in God's Word, and they're, they're the first to admit it. And that's one of the things that they they sit in a study, or they get in a men's study, or a Bible study, or a women's study, um, and, and and they've gone through life kind of just thinking, well, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll pray if something big comes up, right? But they don't have regular times of prayer. They don't have regular times of reading God's Word. Um, uh, th- they don't have regular discipline times like that. Um, they feel like a Class C Christian usually, especially if you're in a church where every week you hear, three times a day, Daniel's having quiet times. How's your quiet time doing? Three times a day, you need to be spending an hour. And, and, you know, so they really feel really, really low because they struggle with that. Um, what would you want to see in that group of people on, on the left side there? Those people that are you know, in the needed growth and biblical grid. I call it a biblical grid of thinking. So what do you want to see in them? Some some regularity developed. You want to see some desire, some motivation, uh, some discipline, which might lead to, to more biblical thought, which would lead to maturity. Um, they may struggle with laziness. They may struggle with a lack of discipline. They're they're just not a very disciplined person. Um, They may stand uh, struggle with a lack of understanding. They decide to do it and they get into like the book of Matthew, or you hand them a Bible and they say, I'm going to start. And they start in Leviticus. And, you know, they they have no idea what's going on. So like, that's why I don't study the Bible. This seems crazy. And so um, then we have on the other side people that are sometimes what I've seen is this spiritual pride and this blindness to it. So a lot of men's studies that I was in, um, a lot of uh, men's, uh, even leader, some of our leadership situations, what you would hear was uh, the common thing was uh, usually they would kind of throw into conversations or the small group about, well, this morning as I was reading in Obadiah at 4 a.m., the Lord showed me, and the rest of the people were like 4 a.m. Like I still had two more bathroom breaks to go, get up, go to the bathroom, and come back to bed. Like I, like Obadiah, I didn't know that was a book in the Bible. And so in that, um, the you have people that are maybe just they're just more disciplined. While we were in shoe, we had a, a couple of South Korean students. Oh my goodness. Like, they were doing like 500 push ups at 4 a.m. between memorizing five verses every day and reading two to three chapters in, like, you know, Old Testament, prophets, Psalms, Gospels, and the epistles. Like, that was all before 7 a.m. And so, just discipline with everything. So, some people are more disciplined, and that just it, it works out when it comes to those. But many times, some of the people that are the most stringent and disciplined in daily devotions and prayer time, so, Daniel, three times a day, be a good Christian, um, they're sometimes the most knowledgeable but also the most blinded by their spiritual pride. What would you want to say to them? Man, um, I hear you touting about your your, your reading the Word, reading the Word, reading the Word, studying the Word, quiet times, quiet times, 4 a.m. Man, you're not really loving. I don't see you reaching out to people in the body, just in our body right here, even in our small group. It's like 12 people, and you don't even care about them. But, man, you want to throw out, you're, you're so disciplined, this study that you're going through, this book that you're going through. What, what you want to see in them is grace, loving, investing in others. They usually equate knowledge as that's all the maturity I need. I'm a knowledge person. So you may have grown up in a church like that, but um, they're not still being teachable. They're not still being corrected by the word. They just wanna memorize the bullet points of the word. They never see themselves as unloving, even though the hundred people around them would see that clearly. So, so how does that happen? It may come down to this subtle subconscious element for those that, 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 that are more disciplined because since I got in God's word, I just know I, I'm right. <laughs> I mean, any conversation, any discussion I get in today, I, was, I spent time in prayer and the word this morning I'm just going to be right. Don't argue with me, wife. Don't argue with me, husband. I'm I'm right. And so I've seen leadership meetings in churches go way. It's, it's not gracious and loving in a grace-oriented environment. It's not a person who's in, in, investing in the people around them. It's, it's just knowledge, bullet points, day after day. So if we are right... So, a church like us, we're striving to be a little bit different. We we have these distinctions. We want to we want to be a place where we do teach God's word solidly. But the overflow of that is love, right? And so, if we get to heaven and we end up being right, or even the doctrines that we teach end up being right. Or, or if the fact that we make ecclesiology matter, so we're developing we're this plurality of elders and then deacons and deaconesses. And if we get all those things right and our doctrines are right and we, we strive and, and, and really work at being a disciple-making church and we reach the community in love, and sometimes people, they're still just going to go to hell and we're going to give them really great gifts and try to be the light of Christ in them and they still turn their back on us and we get all that right, it should only produce more Humility. Not pride, and repeatedly at NSU, when our students would come, and they come from whatever Assembly of God, Presbyterian, Baptist, uh, no name, no congr- and they would say like, "Hey, mom, dad," they would come for a couple of weeks, and they're like, um, Sankey was talking about, they have biblical elders and biblical deacons there. Dad, you're a deacon. Why don't we have elders? Why aren't we a biblical church, Dad, Mom? Why don't we do the and so you know the different things? We would teach through the spiritual gifts. They might come home to their parents' church in um, Tulsa. Mom, Dad, you know all the crazy speaking in tongues that y'all have been doing. You've been doing it out of order. You've been doing it unbiblically. You've been doing and so then here's these parents like you, little grimy you know, complainer. We've, we, we've sent you to private school. We provided a great youth group experience, thousands of dollars. You know, you loved your faith until this crazy wacko sankey from Salisaw started telling you other things. And so now we get the emails and the letters and, and the phone conversations. So if we get those things right, it should only produce more humility and more love and grace towards people. We shouldn't be a people who walk away going, God, that ridiculous church. So stupid. So it puzzles me. It's frustrating to see men and women who proudly talk about those things yet fail to be, be the church and fail to love others. They opt out on the fruit of the Spirit. They opt out on spiritual growth. They opt out on transformation and on disciple-making. But by God, I'm proud of my quiet times. You may have been around that. That's not what we want, what we want to be. If you're a person who's a little bit over there on the other side and you struggle with that, I want to give you all the resources, sometimes just a reading plan. Some scripture memory resources. We want to help those people and not judge them, and we hope that they don't flip to the other side. If you're a person who, if that's been you, and you're super, super disciplined, man, how loving are you to the people around you? Are you are you taking time? I mean, look, I mean, look at us. There's three or four families gone, but look. How hard would it be to go, hey, I'm going to get with that guy that I've never talked to this Wednesday. The next Wednesday, I'm going to get with that other guy that I've never talked to. Hey, the next Wednesday, I'm going to get with that other. How hard would that be in a church of 60 people? So when and if God adds people to it, that's the DNA, that we're a loving expression. Guided by God's word, solid on God's word, faithful to that, but we're a loving expression and Christ-like in that. So what about you? You have those times. Getting into God's word consistently. Let's look at that next section, 6, 11 through 13. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? So the king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Well, you know, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Hey, king, didn't you say that if anyone does that? Well, you know that God that you have been elevating, He doesn't pay any attention to you. He's not going by the law. So we see there very clearly at this point, uh, they think that they are going to trap Daniel. Then look at the next section, 14 through 18. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. But then these men came by agreement to the king and said, No, O king, that... It is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it. And with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So we see here, seems like all hope is lost and yet, is God able to save? That's the message God's wanting to get across as as Judah reads this. As you and I may be facing times where it feels like you're in a lion's den or facing those difficulties, when all hope is lost... Notice it said there that all, nothing would be changed concerning Daniel. Man, that may be where you're at right now. Seems like nothing's changing. Seems like nothing's changing with what I'm dealing with at work. Seems like nothing's changing with wh- wh- where my kids are at, my grown kids, my young kids. Seems like nothing's changing with things going on inside myself, my thinking, my emotions, my marriage. Nothing's changing. When all hope is lost, is God able to save? him? God's screaming with this beautiful smile, yes, look to me, look to me, I promise you. So the gauntlet is laid down, like so many other stories in the Old Testament. There's nothing that could be done. He's without hope that God may deliver you. So look in 19 through 22. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste The den of the lions. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And notice Daniel's response. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. It's pretty strict. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So think through that. He's blameless, but notice what, what's his blamelessness tied to? Again, I could make the point here, are you a blameless man? Are you a blameless woman? Because Daniel said, God found me blameless, so that's why he delivered me. And also remember, I didn't do anything against you, O king. The point of blameless is for the glory of God and for the good of others. What was Jesus blameless? Because Daniel's not truly blameless in a holy aspect. He was blameless before men, but he was a sinner just like us. We knew that there is a perfect Daniel coming, a replacement Daniel. Daniel was not perfect. Daniel was not sinless. Daniel was a good man, a God-fearer, but there was only going to be one who was going to truly deliver the righteousness we needed. There was only going to be a perfect Daniel found in the person of Christ that was going to come and redeem us. And so what was Jesus' story? It's awful for the glory of God and for the good of others. What is the blamelessness of Daniel? The same copy of that. It's for the glory of God and for the good of others. So again, it's not, hey, you Christian, you better be having three quiet times. Hey, you Christian, how good your blamelessness? Well, if your blamelessness is based on pleasing men or being found respectful above men and not for the glory of God in humility, for the good of others, we've missed it. We've missed it. So, the point of blamelessness is not just a category above your head, like when we talk about elders and leadership. It better be for the glory of God and for the good of others. So, God saves. Notice the the, the salvation and judgment that, that happened there. God is communicating there. I'm pulling Daniel out, and I'm sticking these men and their families, their wife and children. Remember that. I mean, these kids are like playing out in their yard, and then some guards come and like, hey, come with us, kids. And they take them off. and like, where are we going? And they throw them in there. Is that the God that you're okay with? Why would God do that? This is God showing a picture of salvation. I'm pulling someone out. And God's justice of those who live as if I don't exist. That's a tough thing to deal with. So salvation and judgment. Notice the result of this, because this plays in importantly. Because the result of this is huge, as, as God has wanted this message about him to go out. So notice what happens in the last verses there, 25 through 28. As a result, King Darius wrote to all the people, all nations, all languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So here's the difficulty. If we make the story, if we make the point, uh, kind of this 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 idea that, that the main message would be, the outline would be, you go be a good Christian. Evil is out there. It's going to try to take you down. You go. Be faithful, you be a good Christian, and God will take care of all the evil. And if you remain good and faithful, God will always save you from evil circumstances around you. Therefore, be like Daniel, be a good Christian. My only problem with that message is Jesus. Look in Jesus' words in Luke 9. 23 through 25. This message just doesn't fit. That that, that outline right there of you just go and live this out, and life will prosper, and it'll turn out good for you. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Last six days. Denying yourself? What does that even look like? as an american christian oh hey and it doesn't mean this you know i struggle with lust getting and looking at sexual immorality. i'm going to deny myself no no, no that, that that that's horrific pitiful sin right like he's talking about sacrificial denying right he, he's not talking about just 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 those elements of sin that you should never even be walking but even even as a as a faithful righteous person denying self sacrificial take up your cross once, prayed the prayer. No, daily, take up the prayer daily, and then come follow me. Because when come and follow me, you don't get to turn around and go back to pursue the other things that you used to pursue. Keep following me, keep following me. For whoever would save his life, hold on to, to grasp on to the way that you want your life trajectory to go, the way that you get to treat people, the priorities, the things that you say that really matter in your life. That, who would? save that, hold on to it, you're losing everything. And some of you, scarily, are going to face the guy and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. But whoever loses his life for my sake, and he's not talking about just physical death, will save it. What does it profit if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? And Then he said in John 16, really rough, rough section, John 16 is really tough, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Man, remember COVID? We're not letting you guys gather together for your safety. And what do we do? A lot of Christians are like, we are being persecuted. They are keeping us from worship. No, they weren't. It was an act of protection. Jesus is saying, there's going to come a time. I'm telling you, I'm Jesus. I'm telling you. They're going to tell you, you can't gather together for your faith. I'm telling you, don't be surprised when that happens. I'm telling you ahead of time, it's going to happen. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. But we have rights as Americans. Other places it doesn't, we're 4% of the population. It's never been the story all through the Old Testament for God's people. It's never been the story in any New Testament book. It's never been the the, the situation for anyone in the first 2,000 years or 1,900 years of church history that we had these rights, except for the last 50 or 60 years, and now we believe it will never happen to us. I'm telling you, they're going to take you out of the synagogues. And then the hour is coming that whoever kills you Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's back up, Jesus. Like, how did we get off to here? Like, kills you. They're going to do it, thinking that they're doing it in service to God, an act of worship. Oh, that was Saul, right? That was Saul immediately. And they'll do these things because they have not known the Father and they haven't known me. But but when they do these things to you, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. That that doesn't help. Jesus changed the circumstance, like, I want Daniel's story. Uh, if they s- rip us out of the synagogue and they start persecuted, rip me out like Daniel. No, No. I just want you to remember. I want you to remember. meant remember, think about it, contemplate. I want out of the situation. Jesus come and said, "Watch my life. Watch the way I walk. Watch, watch the way I live. Very truly, I say to you in verse 20, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And I've been in a low state for probably six to nine months, just uh, just every lots of different circumstances, caring about your souls, don't need a pat on the back or anything, just, just low, 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 low state. And this verse makes me sick because he's not promised me. Hey, Sankey, just, just have more joy. Hey, Sankey, it'll all get better. You will weep and mourn. Grow a church off that kind of verse, And Jesus said, this is what it's going to look like. Show me, show me the website for churches that that's the picture. Like we're okay with weeping and mourning over sin. While well, the world's rejoicing. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. When? Because I don't feel it right now. Because it seems like everyone's winning. We just keep losing and losing and losing. Won't you change my circumstances like Daniel? I'm not obligated to that. I told you beforehand, you're going to grieve when they're rejoicing. It's going to look easier, but, but you've got joy. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in me not not in the circumstances not even in the things that, that I've even given the good your marriage even sometimes your 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 family your church body they're good things but you're not going to find peace in there always find you're going to find peace in me in this world you will have trouble i'm telling you but take heart i've overcome the world all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So why does God save Noah and Jonah and Job and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Daniel in our story today, but then in the church age, it seems that he just lets people die for the faith. So with, with Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, he gets up and preaches the gospel. This Go read in, uh, uh, Acts 7. He preaches the gospel. He connects the dots for the whole crowd, some believers, and then all these people and says... The, the, the Messiah that all the Old Testament talked about going back to Moses and all of those things, the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, it was Jesus. Oh, it's the guy you just crucified a few days ago. You and you, but now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing, and here come the rocks. Thunk, I see the Son of Man standing. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the the, the proud man Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. So why does God save Daniel out of the circumstances and let this faithful gospel proclaimer, die. We're not promised that if we remain faithful, no problems will come, no trials will come, no suffering will come. In fact, Jesus' words, the entire New Testament, and the church age seems to paint just the opposite picture. Those of us living in the last 150 years of American history have had probably the greatest ease and comforts of any believers in the last 2,000 years of the church age. But man, Sometimes those blowers in here, it is so cold. God I just can't stand it. It's miserable. God's cold. I'm not I'm not mocking. I know I, when I sit out there in your the bed, it's miserably cold. But do you see, do you see what I'm getting at? Don't talk to Steve in the first few months of heaven about how cold your service was. How we had to set up chairs. Right, will be staying away from that table. We'll be like, "Hey, there's an empty seat over here by Stephen." No, that's all right. I'll just be over here. I'll back to lunch and go do something else. Have you thought through the simplicity of following Jesus and being committed to His people? We're one of the only groups of people in the history of Christendom that has a faith at no cost and no sacrifice. So, the biggest thing that we need to hear is, it's not about you. The reason that God saves Daniel. And then let Stephen, in and, and, and the 20th century, had more martyrs in that 100-year period than all the other 1,900 years built up to it. All those combined, the 20th century. It's not about us. Because the story with Daniel, what happened at the end? The king says, to all people, to all nations, this is the true living God, God wanted his word to go out through this incredible story. What happens at the end of Stephen, at the end of chapter 7, verse 8 says, And then after that, a persecution broke out, and the gospel went forth to all places. Oh, just like Acts 1 8 had said, the power of the Spirit's going to come. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The point of suffering is not about you, the point of suffering is about God's glory and the good of the people. And this king says, peace be to you. In the same way Jesus said that first Easter morning, peace be to you. Peace between God and sinful man. That's what I've come to do. So that's what we get to celebrate in the story of Daniel. Um, this American view of church has affected you. It's consumerism, it's attractionalism, it's institutionalism. It's completely affected our expectation and preferences of what church should look like and what your own personal experience should be. Gathering together as a fellowship, a body of people united closely in Christ. Is that what you're looking for? Loving God and loving one another well. Singing the gospel, hearing the word of God, the gospel preached. The participation in the Lord's Supper weekly, care for souls by meeting together with different people in the body, time together, meals together through patient listening to what's going on in people's lives, as well as difficult conversations of loving, formative discipline. That is not. That is not good enough anymore. The institutionalized version of church and the church that checks all your boxes, that's become so much the norm that we don't even notice or recognize the diversion. From what their original path was. So, think through what your expectation of, of being a part of a body is. Think through what your expectation of following Jesus is. We have a beautiful picture in Daniel that God is faithful to save. God wanted us to know, wanted the world to know he is faithful to save. So, I want to give you just a couple of minutes just to contemplate where your heart is in trusting God with maybe some situations in your life. And are you giving thanks to him even though you're in the midst of things that you maybe didn't sign on for? Ask the Holy Spirit, show me, is, is there a faithfulness to God and his people? Some of you may be truly facing a lion's den. So where is your trust? Are you, are you trying to do more, battling it out through vengeance yourself, or are you resting more? think through that. Where is your heart at? I'm going to give you a couple of minutes and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper.